welcome Norman Sherman um, to it's a great honor for the Keenan Yoga podcast to have you here today. Uh, Norman was really the, one of the forerunners, I think, with Elizabeth D. McAllis's book on it, um, for Modern Yoga Scholarship. And he published a book, very influential book called uh, The Traditions of the Mysore Palace. Is that, is that right? The Yoga Tradition of the Mysore yoga, Palace. The Yoga Traditions of the Mysore Palace. Um, and, and that was, I think, was it 97? I've got that date in my mind. Or it was something. I think 96. Yeah, yeah, bloody early, whatever. And uh, and before anyone else was really talking about it, but previous to that was translations of Sanskrit texts. And there was no modern scholarship, and Norman really kicked that off. So, uh, you know, we're really honoured to have Norman here today. And just give me a basic um, overview, Norman, as you were mentioning before we started, of what inspired you in the first place just to uh, to get involved in, in you know, in, in yoga scholarship, as it were. You really are, have been a pioneer in the field. Well, I didn't really start with the yoga scholarship. Um, uh, as I was saying, it was Sanskrit that started it off. And I was walking down the street in Odengarten one day and heard the word Sanskrit. And somehow I knew that I was going to study Sanskrit. And I didn't even know it was an Indian language. So, um, so uh, I did start. And I had a terrible time in Sweden studying because... Um, People study academically, and I, I like to be able to speak. And um, uh, at the same time that I started studying Sanskrit, I started working with a, a book by a Ghosh in Sweden, trying to learn yoga from a book. I, I, I was always interested in yoga because I didn't like team sports, like um, those kind of uh, things. And yoga was a possibility of doing yeah. things. And then actually, a, a French fellow came to Stockholm, and he taught 10 lessons in yoga, and he had been in a car accident and uh, was had been damaged badly. And um, he managed to, he had a Chinese physiotherapist who noticed that some of the things he, were, he was doing were like yoga, and got him, got him uh, doing yoga, and he ended up being able to clear his whole body except for cut tendons. So uh, that was that was my start. And as far as the yoga tradition of the Mysore Palace, the question that came up there was, where do all these asanas come from? Because they aren't in the original text. And that was my prime motivating motivating factor. And then I found the, the Sri Tatvaniti text and the Oriental Institute in Mysore wouldn't let me wouldn't let me photograph it or use it. They had a they had a copy. There was there was three hand done copies made of it. But His Highness allowed me to photograph the the Shitatvaniti in the palace. So uh, that's how I managed to get a hold of that text and work on that text, which was then, of course, that was the only source of asanas at the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, it's very. People probably don't know that how how unique it was that Norman got to photograph that text because subsequently everyone, Jason Birch and Jim Mallison and other people of you know modern scholars that we might know have been using these uh, these photographs of yours with your permission, I believe, um, because no one can else can get to see it now. I just want to back up a second because I mean, I, how did you get? What were you doing in Sweden? Um, and were you already studying? Yoga at the time. You said you mentioned Sanskrit, the Canadian as a background, you know, in terms of your 
you know, your, your upbringing, your Canadian. So and what, what was happening up to that point that got you into yoga and what other scholarship had you done previously? Um, I started in, um, I took a, a BA at the um, University of British Columbia and I entered into a field con in Stockholm's University. And um, uh, that was an interesting, that was an interesting, that's been an interesting thing for me because, for example, in studies like literature, in North America, they would say, um, uh, re read that book and tell me what it's about and don't tell me what the critics are saying. But in Sweden, you have a compendium, you may read a paragraph of the work, and you have a compendium telling you everything about the author, his mother, his father, his, his psychological problems, and, and what the interpretations are. And then, of course, going to, going to India, I, I, I spent almost 25 years in India, and I was working with, uh, mostly with traditional pundits, and I was ostracized in the university for working with, with pundits, um, because that wasn't modern learning. But th that was um, um, just a period of, uh, uh, of a different kind of learning altogether. And there, instead of knowledge being sort of an accumulation of information in some kind of way, knowledge is worked as transformative. Mm. It, it, doesn't work, it just doesn't work in the same way. Like if you say you know something, you'll get tested on it. So we were you were living in India for twenty five years or back and forth. As I don't know exactly your background. Were you an academic in in, in Stockholm or uh, you know? And what and what were you studying? What were you translating before this uh, this seminal book that that we all know? I began studying um, uh, world literature and Scandinavian literature, right. and uh, that included Icelandic, Danish, and uh, and Norwegian literature as well. And uh, then I switched to Sanskrit and religious studies. And then in, in India, I was at the Center of Advanced Studies in Sanskrit for four, actually six years doing a PhD. And then I went and studied with, I went to Mysore and I studied with pundits for another 20 years. And the kind of, studying that I used to do I'd spend about two hours in the morning working with somebody individually and then uh, I'd have to try and remember that in the afternoon and then spend another hour in the evening with a teacher I wouldn't talk past six o'clock at night because it used too difficult to remember things if you talk too much and um, uh, so I studied Shastras there where it got to the point where anything that I wanted to study it was like a five-year job of two hours a day, and finally you have to you have to put a limit on what you can study. And even even after all of that study, I, I actually I actually took a pundit degree in the Patashala. and even after all that study, you still feel like you're a charlatan. <laughs> were you publishing these works? I mean, is there, is there, or were you just learning for your for your own sake? I was just learning for my own sake, really. I never thought of publishing. In oh. fact, 
even the yoga tradition of the Mysore Palace was ready five years before it got published. I couldn't find a publisher. Nobody wanted it. They wanted a, a how-to book on yoga. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, I mean, I didn't realize how committed you were to, to yoga. Is that is that something that you found in your upbringing? I mean, was there were there roots in it? In your childhood, or you know, what was the what was the thing that motivated you to to spend all these years studying like this? Well, really, I feel I felt that yoga and Sanskrit were about the same thing about concentration. Right. So they were they work together. Right. Fair enough. Yeah. Exactly. And you were practicing posture yoga as well, weren't you? I mean, yeah, I was doing postural yoga. I was working with a. I got to the point where I was working with advanced asanas with a yengar, and and even finding him, I didn't know. I had found his book in Sweden, uh, some time before, and then I went to Pune and I was at the university, and I found out that he was teaching. So I went over to his place and asked him if he would, if he would teach me. Really? When was that? I didn't I didn't know that. That was in 1970, about 1970 or something. All right. Okay. So early on, that must have been incredible. Well, there were no foreigners. There were very few foreigners that came to him at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And I got put in with an. In fact, it was, it was um, always a problem with uh, when new foreigners came. Uh, the first thing would be a uh, breaking down. You know. You. Oh, you. 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 you you, you you think that you're going to uh, get enlightened in five minutes or something like that, and then there would be a dressing down. <laughs> I mean, I, one problem was probably that you wasn't there, that you you spoke the languages probably. I imagine you could, uh, by that time, be quite communicative with, with uh, BKSE England Marathi or such. Well, I never studied. I studied Marathi just very slightly. But Iyengar actually speaks Kannada. Oh, does he? And, and right. he's in Iyengar. The Iyengars in Karnataka speak Tamil. Oh. And did you manage to speak to learn that? Yeah, no, I, I I didn't speak to him at all in Canada at that time. I didn't I didn't know enough Canada to be able to talk to him. That came much later. What what do you think of um? BK, I wasn't planning to quiz you on BKS Yenga, but you know what? What did you think of your teaching with BKS and your time with him? Well, at the time, um, at the time, uh, uh, there. I mean, he was. It was a very small class, so he was teaching. Like I, I never. I quit going to him when he got his new, new um, uh, shala built by CS, but. Um, uh, what I find is I, I've had to teach, for example, at the University of Calgary, I was asked to teach a, a five-lecture course on Tibetan art. And it was in one of these lecture theaters where they where they scooped down and there. And I realized as soon as I walked into there, you're not teaching any longer, you're performing. And what I sort of feel like with the with the um uh, even with yoga and uh, and all of these things, is yoga is really an individual. It was Yogendra who started yoga classes, and yoga classes are sort of like a like a, a slightly less damaging issue of Zoom. 
where where you watch people but you don't touch them so whatever they do they do within the range of their own postural preferences and uh, unless you have that one-on-one -on -one teaching it just doesn't uh, it doesn't really work and I, I i've been very fortunate because i've had one-on-one -on -one teaching in sanskrit over a period of 20 25 years and and also one-on-one -on -one teaching on yoga so you didn't keep that relic because I think a Yenga, I think you mentioned in the um in, in subsequent editions of the of the book that a Yenga wasn't immediately happy with with uh, what you were putting forth in the book. Is that is that right? Oh no, nobody was happy. No, Patabi, no one was happy. No, <laughs> right there. For Tabby Joyce say, yes, it is a bad book. <laughs> and and a Yenga said I had insulted his family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but it kind of blew blew the light on it. Kind of blew the light on the guru worship, and Westerners have contributed to that. Actually, it's interesting because Abhinava Gupta says that it, when you're trying to pursue knowledge, it's guru shastra taswataha. The, the knowledge comes from the guru. You have to back that up with knowledge with knowledge from the shastras, and ultimately, you have to do it on your own. And each one of these are successively more important. So, um, with did you did you meet Patabi Joyce as well? Uh, actually, I met him once. Darby took me over once to uh, to uh, Mark, Mark Darby. Uh, yeah, I didn't know you knew Mark. Actually, just because you were there at the same time, I suppose, right? We were. He was living at the in, in a place just across the street from from or across the fence from me. Actually, really, the Darby is my teacher, my my Aston teacher. That's a, that's a nice coincidence. Um, well, well, I suppose the obvious question that springs to mind is, what motivated you to pursue and you know and write the book in the first place? Well, uh, the the big thing was uh, was where do all the asanas come from? As far as I was concerned, yoga was asanas. That was that was it, and it was skill and asanas which made made the big difference. So I wanted to find out what the source of this was, and yeah. it's taken me. It's it, it really, I mean, that book was only the beginning, the 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 beginning of it. Like later on, I've gone into. I've gone into other texts which all deal with yoga, as, as, as I sent you the book of Yoga yeah. Sutra Chintamani, and um, to try and find out uh, exactly the whole tradition, because the, the asanas are an abbreviation blip in there. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Can you explain further? Well, asanas asanas can be used as a spiritual discipline. Uh, can work as a spiritual discipline if you use it in a certain way, but that's not the prime primary means of what we're talking about. And and that's also valid. Bhartrhari, third century or fifth century, said that when you're pursuing spiritual knowledges, they always start with an illusion or delusion. And if you're lucky, you may you you may come to some idea that is actual or real. So going back to the Sri uh, Tatra Nidhi, um, this is a, you know, a unique book you got. You know, you, you managed to get your hands on in the end. I mean, um, um, were you surprised with what you found there? 
And were you surprised that you couldn't find the yoga karunta anywhere in sight? Well, for a long time, I thought the yoga karunta didn't exist. And actually, it's interesting because I because I don't know that you've read the recent article of Jason Birch on Hatha Abhyasa Paddhati. I think I have, yeah, yeah. But um, the, I had that in my hands too, and I only photographed part of it. And that that was probably the source of the Sri Sri Tatvanidi. Huh. Right, right. And and for people that don't know, what exactly is this text? I mean, it's uh, how many how many yoga postures are detailed in it? Well, there's 120, 121 asanas or, or more. I'm not quite sure the, the exact number. But the Hatha Abhyasa Paddhati was used to compile the Sri Tatvanidhi, it looks like. Right. And you saw that text as well? Yeah, I, I photographed that text. I gave the, the photographs to Jason Birch, but I only took something like 30 photographs. Because I was the Sri Tatvanidhi were the asanas were better. Actually, the asanas in the Sri Tatvanidhi are absolutely beautiful. They're beautiful line drawings done, and they didn't come out that way in the yoga tradition of the Mysore Palace because of his inability to uh, to make excellent page pictures. Mm, mm. It's not bad. You get you get some idea at, at least. Um, yeah, you get an idea, but that's all you get. You don't get you don't get to see the fine artwork. We so when you were looking, when you were looking there originally, you were looking for the source uh, of uh, Krishnamacharya's yoga. Do you, did you do you feel that the uh, Sri Tatranidhi um, expresses is is explicitly that source, or do you think there's further interpolations of Krishnamacharya? Uh, using that text as, in part and other things as well. I, I think what the Sri Tatvanidhi did, it g- gave an idea of what could be done. And then you had to, but the Sri Tatvanidhi was not a, the, not a, a complete text in itself. It was an illustration. So sometimes the write-up doesn't compare with the pictures or the pictures don't compare with the particular verse it was done by the palace ateliers yeah so they had to kind of uh uh swing it to make it look good yeah yeah and i mean we 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 surprised at at what you found there or we or were you expecting something of that like i mean what led you what led you to find it in the first place how did you come upon it well, actually, somebody directed me to it in the Oriental Institute, and they had a they had a copy, they had a copy, but their copy wasn't a finished copy of the Sri Tatvanidhi. It wasn't colored in. It's just in in line drawings. Uh, I think there is some shading in there in black and white, but it was from a text that they happened to find in the in a a, a, a pundit's house, and he passed it on to there it was passed on to the oriental institute when he died and um, there were two copies in the palace one was the queen's copy and the other one and one of them disappeared one the one of the copies disappeared but I, there there was still one copy kept in the saraswati bandar library in the palace and shri kantadatta allowed me to photograph it 
did you manage to see, did you manage to find any, I mean, you mentioned the Yoga Karunta as extant. I mean, did you manage to find any traces of anything, you know, more more clearly uh, delineating the Ashtanga sequences? Not really. Um, uh, the Ashtanga sequence is kind of... Uh, um, uh, the ideas are there in the Sri Tatvaniti, but they aren't explicitly brought out. Mm, they're thinking mm-hmm. of that more as uh, more as a sort of text on the individual asanas, rather than rather than the 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 movement and uh, those kind of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, when you were doing this study and you were there and you must have been talking to people, I mean, did did you did you learn more about the background of Krishnacharya? I mean, because you know it's always mentioned he goes off to Tibet for all these years and he finds the Yoga Kunta there, but always given the Yoga Kunta by his teacher there. I mean, did you you know what what surprised you about this, your your time studying in the Mysore Palace? Well, what surprised me about what I found in the Mysore Palace? Yeah, yeah. All your time talking to—I mean, you must have talked to your librarians and different people there. Right? Yeah, actually, it's it's the situation of yoga at that time was there was no interest in yoga. There was no popular interest in yoga, and amongst the pundits and the the scholars. There was no real interest in yoga. The idea was that Vedanta was really the outcome of was the outcome of yoga, and Vedanta was looked upon as being the the um, purpose of purpose of yoga, which no longer had a validity. And part of the thing was it was a dualistic a dualistic philosophy, and the dualism didn't hold up philosophically. There was you couldn't make the connection between Purusha and Prakriti satisfactorily philosophically so it wasn't looked on uh, the pop- the popular popularization of yoga as the popularization of sanskrit really has come from western interest mm, 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 mm. i mean yeah that is it's hard to fathom at that time it really wasn't there really wasn't anyone else doing modern scholarship on the origins they you know just kind of translating Text, old text, right? So you were really out on a limb at that point, and you got some, as you mentioned, you you got you know quite a lot of heavy uh, criticism for it, didn't you? I mean, um, well, were, we we surprised. Well, no, I knew it was going to be a bombshell, right? But uh, but uh, I got physical threats. People would say, "Well, I, I'm going to write a book on that, and I'm tell the truth." And uh, but I think my I think I was covered quite well that that it was very hard evidence to argue against. What do you think upset people about the book? If if people haven't read you know the book or seen this book, I mean, what what was it that was particularly um, kind of like a kind of shattering or kind of you know uh, about this book? Let's say I'm not really sure. Um, in total, but um, yeah. uh, I've been told I've insulted the te- the Ashtanga teachers that it was an insult to them, and um, uh, I, I think one of the one of the big problems was is this Western idea Western ideas of the guru, 
like they want to put this divine thing on the guru that this is this is a divine knowledge and the ashtangis felt that they were getting the correct knowledge from the guru from 3000 years ago and that book kind of blew that up blew that away mm. and go back to the yoga karuta again i mean it means other people have more recently i think like jason have said that well, a number of people actually have mentioned the connection to karuta as rope or something like that right have you heard of that the idea that there is a a, a book out there um to, called the yoga karuta but it's a, a rope postures um the Lonavla Yoga Institute published they published what was the Yoga Kurunta. They had published it under a different name because they didn't uh, they didn't um uh, uh they didn't know it was a Hatha Vyasa Paddhati. And after Jason's research, I think that's come up and they they assume I think Jason assumes that it's uh, a Maharashtrian manuscript. Right. <clears throat> and and the Hatha Abhyasa Paravrati, this is a, a similar text to the, the, the Tatvanidhi, right? It's based on this text. It has 120 some asanas in it. And uh, it's got a big section on uh, sex in there, too, on uh, uh, the. Um, uh, I don't know what it's called. What, uh, what, like, what, what, connected with Vajroli Mudra? Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And where, um, where is that text, and where did it come from? Well, well, the, the that that text is one that the uh, Lonavla Institute had in their had in their their manuscript collection, and uh, the the text that is in the Mysore Palace is actually. Uh, indicated with numbers that co- show the correspondence of the Sri Tatvanidhi. So it was a source book for the Sri Tatvanidhi asanas. And there is another book on asanas also. The Jodhpur, in- the Jodhpur Institute has um, has a text, uh, um, a number of texts with, with, with a number of asanas also. And I don't know whether you know that story of the Nath Yogans in Jodhpur. No, no. Up to here. Well, um, there was a king called Man Singh, and he invited the Nath Yogins into into Jodhpur, and they they came there. And of course, they did their they did they began to cause problems, um, playing so-called magic tricks on people and uh, sexual sexual things, apparently. And uh, eventually, the citizens of Jodhpur told him either he had to go or the yogis had to go. He abdicated from the throne and went with the yogis. But what it's left, it's left a whole collection of of texts on yoga in the Jodhpur Palace. You didn't get inspired after writing that book to, to go further into this and, and write. Actually, yeah. I applied to a Canada Council grant to travel around because I wanted to I wanted to go around to small places where there were yoga centers and things like that and check for other texts. We had a jeep and nine languages between us and they didn't give a grant. Right. Maybe protectionist within you know this this uh dissemination of uh, more more recent roots of yoga. Perhaps 
perhaps there's a reticent like, reticence to to own that by yeah at that time it was uh, it it was um uh i don't know about grants i've always had a problem with trying to get grants to do things when i've written big save the world type applications that are totally useless they give the money if you know what you're doing they don't want to give it how I mean, you know the yoga makaranda that actually darby showed me is that you know how is that similar to the tatvanidhi or can you see some direct a direct correlation through i mean how close for those people that want to know how close krishnamacharya's yeah yoga that he taught as ashtanga yoga is to these texts you know is it one of the same thing or do we see some you know some influences from these these earlier texts but him kind of making his own interpretations as well well they must they must have had uh, i would assume that they had uh, connection i i believe that sri uh, krishnamacharya lists the sri tatvanidhi in his bibliography but he doesn't list the yoga karanta in in his text that he did um and i i can't remember i it's so long since i've looked at the tabby joyce's work it's so long since i've looked at my own work that that i it's hard for me to compare it or to say anything about it that's off the wall yeah yeah what it, what it, you sent me uh, your yoga sutras which is a really interesting read um how how what is specific about your take on the yoga sutras because it was unusual well i think that um uh, basically what i sort of came to was what yoga is about is the exploration of consciousness and the exploration of consciousness is done by working with three things knowledge action and desire and the whole structure of the Yoga Sutras is based on that. The, the first pada is knowledge. The second one is Kriya Yoga or actions. And the third is the desire or the vibhutis and the, the vibhutis and the, and the samadhis, the ultimate samadhis. So I hadn't come to that conclusion. I mean, I came to that conclusion as I worked with the Yoga Sutras. And then you, when you see it in that, fashion that as an exploration of consciousness you realize that that what they've been talking about in the Upanishads and the earlier texts and the texts from a thousand years later is the same thing they they they've worked with the same with, with that problem so they have a continual continuity of scholarship from 1500 2000 years before the yoga sutras and for, for the next 1500 or 2000 years afterwards where the, where there is that exploration and now this becomes more relevant because we have western philosophers like donald hoffman and others who are speaking about these kinds of things whereas previously people who explored those kinds of things were burned as witches and uh, such such things are put off to the side as being crazies so, um, uh, no, I wouldn't have come to those conclusions except through, through looking closely at the Yoga Sutras. Mm. And this, this is a work you are going to be publishing soon. Is that, is that right? Well, I may, I'm, uh, maybe. It's, uh, I've never had... To, uh, one of the reasons why I did, haven't published is, is because, uh, because um, 
even when I do publish, I lose I I lose control over it, and I don't get paid. <laughs> right. <laughs> Problems. Um, you you you're st- are you still practicing yoga? What does yoga mean for you these days? Are you, are you chanting um, shastra or, or practicing asana? Um, well, I'm reading the Mahabharata and the the spandakadikas over and over again with different commentaries so i still i still continue on and uh i i can't do asanas any longer because of i cracked my tibia i was walking in the forest one day and i slipped on the ice i slid down a mountainside and hit a tree and my leg bent backward and cracked the tibia so i'm waiting for some possibility of replacement on that so that's kind of hindered my movement and in fact i haven't gone anywhere for the last three years because of that as well i was going to say are you going back to india at all these days when was the last time you were there uh it was probably about five or six years ago i took a young yoga student he needed an operation on his arm and we went to india and did it and are you teaching at the university of calgary now I'm. I teach. I teach advanced asanas in my house. <laughs> so you've always been teaching yoga as well as a posture yoga. Almost forty six years. I've right, been throwing bodies. Right. I didn't know that. Right, and I mean, just slightly tangential now. Going back to the book again. How do you see that the whole thing has evolved from from your book? I mean, are you pleased with the direction it's going? I mean, because so much has come out of that subsequently. Um, do you want to comment on, you know, is your chance to comment on um, on how you see modern yoga scholarship progressing now and the direction it's going now? What do you think about that? Well, I think the most serious work has been done by uh, by um, uh, uh, scholars today like James Mallinson and Jason Birch and uh, um, Mark and also the book by... Um, a very interesting book by Elliot Goldberg, Pathways yeah. of Modern Yoga. That was good. Yeah. And uh, uh, and then on the other hand, there's a series of scholars which haven't been necessarily connected with yoga. Uh, Sanderson, Mark Dikskowski, uh, and Philip Maas. Uh, these people have done very interesting work. It hasn't really been taken up by the yoga people. Mm, as, mm. But there's uh, there's work that has superseded uh, is some of the most interesting work on philosophy and Sanskrit that has come out. What well, what is it in particular that you see um, is is being drawn out now that wasn't there before? Subsequent, I mean, really, it was a watershed time. This book of yours, and uh, you know, and how has that changed things? Uh, again, I didn't quite get that. How how do you think the direction of yoga has now changed subsequent to your book and with the work of you know Jim and uh, James um, and Jason Birch? Well, the capitalist machine seems to be the main influence uh, on yoga today. Like that's what's driving it in some kind of a way. But people are doing better asanas. They're they're examining their asanas more closely 
amongst all the other paraphernalia, like their yoga mats and things. Um, uh, did seeing those te- that the, these uh, these asanas that you you managed to photograph did that change your perspective on physical yoga practice and the way that you practice and taught? Well, I again, I worked in a kind of a different way. Since I worked with individual teachers, it was always hands-on. And uh, working hands-on, like I consider manipulations to be openings that you open into somebody's, you open into part of them that is that belongs to them. It's their natural self. So that, um, so uh, uh, you can go along with somebody and just by touching them or moving them in some kind of a way, you can take them through postural preferences and into 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 what is their own self in an instant, whereas they might never get that if they were if they're working through their own limitations, kind of thing. So so uh, basically, that's the way that I like like to work. Mm. I suppose um I didn't ask you originally. What do you think the purpose of these? Uh, you know, had the yoga um the sorry the 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 book, which is the book that's inspired the Tatvanidhi, the Abhyasa, uh, Abhyasa Paravriti, or something like that. So, I mean, do you see, do you see these books as teaching modern yoga for the purpose of physical exploration? Or, I mean, you mentioned before that the asana was an interpolation, um, a, a kind of an well, anomaly. If if you look at the definitions in Patanjali, mm-hmm. I mean, you can take those definitions, and they include they include everything in those definitions: prayatna uh, effort, prayatna shaitilya, slackening of the effort, finding balance, anantasamapatibhyam, and an element of transcendence. Anantasamapatibhyam in the asana where you where it becomes complete. So even in Patanjali, even in Patanjali, by that simple definition of four words, he's covered. He's 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 covered the whole possibility of of asanas. And actually, in Patanjali, I mean, one can say that asanas don't belong, but that second pada is kriya yoga, the yoga of action. And action includes everything. This is this is a means for to work through your postural preferences. Is to come to a realization of your own self. So it's 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 also an examination, a reflection on consciousness through your first world, which is your body. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well. In, in, in fact, in my second book, I've divided asanas rather than putting putting them into groups. I've divided them simply into moving asanas and still static asanas. Yeah, because in the original text that you photographed, them, there's no mention of the vinyasa, is there at all? I mean, we haven't brought up no, that, that point. There's no mention of it, but there are there are asanas that uh, are part of the vinyasa series. Right. So, there's a, is there a precedent for this? The jumping movement that Krishnacharya is famed for in in these. Well, I, I think Jason Birch uh, he was uh, had the theory that many of these asanas that are in the Sri Tattvanidhi or in the other are 
parts of a continuation of a of a moving asana, and uh, it's more clear in the Hatha um, Bhyasa uh, Paddhati than it is in the Sri Tattva Nidhi because they've been separated in a different way in the Sri Tattva Nidhi. They're, hmm. a, they're a different sequence. Right. And before that, do you, I mean, is there, is there any rec- recognizable trace of the Tattva Nidhi, the Abhyasa, to something before that? Do you know yet? Well, I don't know. I mean, only I could uh, could only speak generally. <clears throat> the pile ones or the wrestlers, they're they they have they do have a series of moves that they do on poles, on ropes, and things like that. All of which are somehow related to yoga. And I just got sent a manuscript uh, from India of thirty-seven pictures of uh, uh, which lo- looks sort of like yoga. But what it really looks like is it's some of the things that street performers do, sitting and standing on a pole in the air in Padmasana and things like that. That there's somehow a yoga relation, but not directly. So th- these things are in the sort of no, we don't see those anymore in India. They used to they used to be there, mm. but you don't see them any longer. Mm. Mm. So there is a general connection in some kind of a way but um uh, uh and people adapt i mean this is one of the th- problems that 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 i talked about in the very beginning of the the yoga tradition of the mysore palace is that people think tradition is the static thing and it's not tradition adapts it looks at things and it accumulates throws out forgets adds in I mean, for it to become vital again. And in fact, that's what that's what Krishnamacharya and Ayengar did. They revitalized the tradition again. Mm, mm. They made it into something meaningful. Finally, I mean, do you know anything about Ayer? The, uh, the I, I think um, you mentioned Eliot's book, uh, where he talks about the bodybuilding kind of gym a couple of doors down from Krishnamacharya's uh, yoga sauna. I mean, do you know anything about the influence of Ayer on Krishnamacharya? Well, <clears throat> there was a book that I got a hold of. It's in Canada, the Vyayama Deepika, which literally means the, the light on exercise. And I can't remember the exact, but it's got, I think, 21 different categories of exercises. Swimming, the equivalent of barbells, parallel bars. And a lot of these were set up by the by the by the English for the royal family as uh, um, they wanted to train them and have them have them under their thumb in a way and in fact there was a um, uh, I think his name was Bharadwaj I'm I'm not quite sure who was hired as a sort of a personal trainer for Nalavadi Krishnaraja Wadiya who was the crown prince because Mumadi, Mumadi, who wrote the Sri Tattva Nidhi, who was done under him, as he became older, he became less ma- manipulable. And um, th- that gym was where Krishnamacharya took over and, uh, and it had ropes, uh, parallel bars, all sorts of things like that in there, in that gym. That was in the Jagan Mohan Palace originally. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So that was a different room to this uh, this kind of gym of uh, EA that was also patronized by um, by the Maharaj. I think that what the Maharaja did <clears throat> is he wanted to uh, uh, have an exercise system that had some kind of indigenous quality mm, to it. Mm. So he, the, he Krishnamacharya was <clears throat> put on the palace payroll and given that gym area to work with the Arasu boys who were the the sons of the royal family. So that's how that started off. And then afterwards, he ended up in the Pathashala, which was also patronized by the royal family. But open to an, a whole other group of people. What do you see the direction of yoga in India, modern India today, is related to this perhaps re reluctance to accept that tradition is continuously evolving? And, and looking for ancient, ain't more ancient roots in it to claim it as something particularly indigenous to, to India. Do you have any thoughts well, on that? Well, there has been a whole movement of both in India and primarily in America to take yoga back. And that's basically a politicization of yoga as, as being a Hindu contribution to the world. And, um, uh, so there's been that movement, and of course with Modi, that that has been come even more. But this is a uh, uh, they're strong. Mm. Mm. Okay, Norman, it's been an amazing interview. What what about what what are you doing now? Um, where, where are you where are you going? What are you studying nowadays? What's what's on the agenda next? Well. <clears throat> what am I studying nowadays? I'm trying to read the Kadasarit Sagara, which is a 12-volume work, which is very easy Sanskrit. And I'm reading the Shanti Parvan of the Mahabharata in Sanskrit. Oh I read the whole Mahabharata when I was in India. It took me three years at five chapters a day. In Sanskrit? In, uh, I, actually, I, I had Sanskrit and English. I had a, because I didn't want to look up all the words individually. At the time, so I had both, so I could look it up quickly. That's oh, just incredible. I mean, if, if someone wants to kind of start um, in this field of, of understanding Sanskrit or, or you know, any other kind of scholarship, do you have any advice for them? Well, <clears throat> I'm very happy about the way that I studied Sanskrit, that, uh, that I went there and worked with teachers. That that wouldn't be possible today. It just it, you could do it, but it'd be very difficult to to do in the same way. So I was happy with that, but it hasn't done me. I haven't been able to contribute as much as I would have liked to have done with that knowledge. Um, uh, and and it's very difficult fitting into the universities because a class of an hour or three hours a week. Isn't enough to to be able to work to work with with a language. In fact, even languages in general, I feel like it takes five years of communication to be able to understand a language. And I was lucky when I went to Mysore, 
I couldn't speak Canada, and the pundits who I was learning from couldn't speak English. So all my teaching was in Sanskrit. Hmm. So that made it that made a big that made a big difference. The modern world has problems. <laughs> Maybe we'll leave it there. <laughs> what a great ending! <laughs> well, you know, it's been a, a, you know just a historic moment to connect with you, and uh, and I'm sure that the audience will really appreciate hearing some of this. What, what you know, what was such a formative uh, point in in the yoga study that we're now kind of witnessing by uh, people that we've mentioned. Uh, modern yoga scholars um so i want to thank you again for your contribution norman and, and thanks for coming on and speaking to me so so enjoyable time with that well, thank you th- thank you